This podcast is a TWTT production. Let's enjoy sake, hot or cold. Let's enjoy sake all together with you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of TWTT, the podcast. My name is Simone Maynard, joining from Melbourne, Australia, and joining me as always, usually from Tokyo, but this time from Melbourne, Australia as well, is Maki Tanaka. Maki, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm pretty good, thank you. I'm uh, Today I'm having no riddle glass in the house, no riddle sake glass in the house, so I've got my whiskey glass with me. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Just for fun. Well, I guess it was uh, probably hard to travel to Australia with uh, with your glass glassware collection, so you'll uh, you use whatever you can use this evening. And joining us also from Osaka is Julian Hausman. Julian, nice to see you again. How are you? Very well, as always. Have you always. got a glass in front of you tonight? I do. I've, I, I will be using my uh, my gym, my glass. I. One because that's the uh, that's the one I prefer, and also because I did have a daiginjo glass, but I broke it and haven't replaced it yet. Oh no! Well, I think we're <laughs> the right person that might be able to help you with that. So our special guest for this episode is Wolfgang Angel from uh, Riedel in Japan. He was born in Austria, first came to Japan in 1985. Um, he was competing in the World Skills uh, Competition, which he won. Uh, and then ever since, he wanted to uh, make his way back to Japan. It took him three years, I believe, to find his way back to Japan. And he spent time at the Tsuji Academy and was involved in teaching in the hospitality business. So a long uh, hotel service and hotel industry background and began working for Riedel, which is what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about the sake-specific glasses that this uh, company have made. And in front of me tonight too, I have the Junmai glass. Very much <laughs> appreciate your time uh, being here with us this evening, Wolfgang. Welcome to our podcast and thank you very much for joining us. Uh, hello, Simone. Uh, hello, Maki. Hello, Julian. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It's great to be here and uh, talk about sake and sake vessels. Well, like most guests and like us, um, I know that you don't really like talking about yourself too much. So I've tried to give a little bit of an intro as to you. how you uh, how you were connected to Japan and when you first uh, came to Japan. So you visited in 85, as we mentioned, for the World Skills. And uh, three years later, you returned and have basically been strongly affiliated with Japan ever since. You're currently based in Tokyo. But during your time with Riedel, you also spent five years in Sydney, I believe, based in Sydney. So uh, you're, you're a fellow Aussie as well. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I was there for five years in the, in the mid-90s uh, and came back in 2000, uh, back to Japan to start the subsidiary. And when I was in Sydney, I was traveling all over the world uh, for Riedel and from South Africa to uh, Latin America, uh, India, everywhere, about 26 countries. Uh, before coming back, settling back on Japan, which is now my home for almost over 30 years. Wow. So you started working at, was it 1989? 
88, I was in Osaka with Fotsuji uh, Culinary Institute, and then uh, started with Riedel uh, with their with their importer in uh, 89, and went to Sydney in 95. Came back in 2000, and I'm I'm here back back since then. I know you've done a few podcasts and um, most of our audience will probably know what we're talking about this evening when we talk about the sake-specific glasses that your company or the company you work for has designed. And we we obviously try not to repeat too much that's um, been done on other podcasts, but it's a little hard to avoid, I suppose. It's a, it's a niche market. The sake world is still very much a niche market. Uh, it's a lot smaller, obviously, than the wine industry. Um, there's two sake glasses compared to however many uh, <laughs> wine glasses that Riedel make. I'm sure it's a lot. Uh, but I, I, my question for you before we start talking more specifically about the the glasses, um, what, why Riedel? What what fascinated you about that company, and why were you on a bit of? A, it sounds like you were on a bit of a mission to 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 work for for George. And I'm just curious as to to what. What attracted you to the company? Well, when I was a boy, uh, I was basically growing up behind the real factory. I, I was learning how to ski just behind the factory. So I knew Riedel was there. It was my hometown, Kufstein, in, in Austria, small town of about 14,000 people. And uh, in the summertime, you know, little boys walk around and, you know, go near the factory because there's always something exciting. And they had this big, big uh, container with broken glasses in there and uh, we were fascinating we took some some of those glasses and they went to the forest and took a bunsen burner and burned the glass and pulled pulled uh, um, uh, pulled it apart and so that was our first first encounter with Riedel and the second uh, one was when uh, I was working in a hotel uh, about 16 17 I started my first stagiaire and um, of course I was washing a lot of real glasses and I was serving a lot of real glasses and uh, I was always uh, told by the maitre d you know these are the these are the normal glasses and these are the real glasses so I very early already knew there was something different about them and it was not just that they were much thinner and more uh, more uh, delicate than uh, a lot of the the more sort of banquet style style glasses I, I I always preferred to serve them because I knew the guests loved them and they loved they loved the appearance and then only later on I realized what what the main function of these glasses were actually to to maximize our enjoyment of of the wines that we that we that we drink in the restaurant or or at home. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 what attracted me. And then when I was had a chance to come to Japan in '85. Um, I wanted to find a way back to Japan. I didn't really care uh, how. You know, I even left my resume on uh, on the on on the hotel's lobby. You know, just in case somebody might pick it up and get, <laughs> get it <to> HR, <laughs> which which soon soon found out was a stupid idea. Uh, but uh, I tried to find a way, and I, I it took me three years to find a way back. And that's when when Suji Suji offered me to uh, to a one year contract with them. I did. Uh, I love to talk about uh, you know uh, anything really in front of other people or students, but I didn't want to stay in education per se. So I was in those three years. I was working for for a hotel supply company in Austria. I was working in PR. I was doing some writing. I was doing exhibitions. So everything that that uh, sort of is also what Riedel does today. Um, so I dabbled, uh, I dabbled in different different areas before I came to Osaka, and uh, before I went to Osaka, I knew I wouldn't stay there. 
I, I contacted Riedel. I went to 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 the Riedel headquarters and said, I'm I'm here. I'm 21, 22 years old, and I've, I'm going to be in Japan. So if you want me to do something in Japan, I'll be there. I'll be ready for doing things for you. And um, not to go too much into detail, uh, that uh, you know, it was not very successful in the beginning because he actually threw me out of the office because it was like it was like not threw me out, but he basically said, "Oh, young man, you know, this is you know, I'm uh, you're a bit too young for Japan. Japan is very difficult. You know, I've been traveling there for many years, and what are you going to do for us there?" Uh, so I forgot about it and I went to Japan and uh, spoke to the the importer. And so the importer was very interested for me to start uh, uh, visiting restaurants and you know promoting the glasses to restaurants and doing glass tastings, doing glass lectures, and and that's how we how we started and everything sort of snowballed from there. Um, I always had a very strong affinity with the products and the brand, uh, the brand, uh, the the products especially because the the, the integrity of the products. And how they were made, and and there was no compromise, and how they were the process, how to how to end up with the, with the products, and of course how they worked for and spirits. I mean, once you would taste the difference, once you smell the aroma uh, from you know the same uh, beverage in two different glasses, and once you once you have the, you never forget that, and it's very uh, very very strong impression uh, yeah. for me also as a as a as a young uh, person in the in the hotel field. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We the last episode we did, we spoke to Robert Yellen about pottery or ceramic vessels. So this makes a really lovely contrast, and I think both very much play an important role um, for sake drinkers, especially in the service the service industry. I know uh, the glasses that we're talking about this evening. Um, play a very big role. But it wasn't until um, quite a while after they were developed, I think, that people started bringing them into their homes. And I know you came out here to Melbourne and did a wonderful workshop. Um, We're trying to work out whether it was 2018 or 19, but it was definitely before COVID. And it really did blow my mind. I mean, I, you know, I sort of had worked in wineries before and worked in cellar doors and I'd, I'd been drinking you know, the right wine out of the right vessel, regardless of, of who made the glass. And and um, I, I kind of never really thought too much about what I was doing and, and how it was enhancing the experience. I was just enjoying drinking wine out of a posh looking glass, really. So, And yeah. and when we did the, the, the workshop uh, with you and uh, it, it, we, we, we tried a range of different sake and it really just amazed me how different it could taste. Um, just due to the shape of the, you know, the design of the glass. So I, uh, I, I must say that I use the Junmai glass a lot more than the Daiginjo glass. And I think that's the one that I'd really like to talk a little bit more about tonight. Um, the, the Daiginjo glass is beautiful. It does what it's meant to do. It's um, obviously to me looks very similar to a white wine glass, perhaps a Riesling glass, and it it does a lot of the same things. It really focuses on the aromatics of a highly polished sake. Um, the Junmai glass is a really interesting shape. It's almost a little like uh, martini meets margarita <laughs> in design, uh, and it's it's a huge glass. I imagine it's possibly a little bit of a a little bit problematic for some venues to to store these, uh, and I I do often worry about breaking them when I'm using them. And last time we spoke, I know Maki had a ceramic cup that was quite large for a gunomi, and she was she was talking to Robert about uh, you know not wanting to fill it because it it was 
too much volume. And and this, I think, is the same kind of thing. It's a huge glass. So my first question about this glass was going to be, where where are you where are you meant to fill it up to? Is it just where that where it starts to bubble out, or is it? No, no. If you see, if you look at the glass, uh, the easiest the wee easiest way is two fingers. Yeah. Just take two fingers, put them to the, the to the bottom of the, the the beginning of the stem, yeah. and then uh, you don't pour above that. That's about seventy mil. Uh, it's about the same uh, volume as a as a as a gnome, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, and it's also perfect because any if you pour uh, more into it, it becomes more difficult to swirl. Yeah. Also, the perfect uh, serving uh, serving uh, uh, for uh, for swirling, and you really should swirl the beverage in in the in the vessel because it it increases the evaporation surface of the of the of the sake in the glass, which enhances the aromas. Yeah. So so that's that's about that's probably the the best the easiest way to to describe the the perfect pour. Yeah, interesting because I mean some some places you go they pour a standard sixty mil, other than ninety mil. For me, it's a little bit more than that usually, but it's it's good to know because uh, I think I think it's it's for a reason, right? That that you would fill yes, it up. Yes. This is one of the things we miss to explain uh, to people to some people when uh, we we introduced the glass. We actually didn't provide that information about uh, recommended drinking temperature range or the or the or the the, the serving level. Uh, yeah. So. So, so this is what people people filled it up and said, "Wow, oh my God, this doesn't work. This spills all over the place. What is this?" So, so we really now we have all the information there and 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 have it can provide it to to consumers. It was in two thousand that the uh, Daiginu glass came out. Yes, uh, just before two thousand, I think nineteen ninety nine. We we when we came just briefly. Going back, how how the the Daiginjo glass, we already asked in two thousand and ninety five. Um, we did a lot of uh, tastings around Japan with wine, and and one of the questions we always received was, you know, what about sake? And uh, we didn't know what to say because uh, we first of all we didn't know sake, and also we had to, we were quite reluctant to even uh, talk about it because uh, sake being such a uh, uh, so entrenched in in the culture and tradition of Japan, uh, uh, we it was kind of a kind of a hot potato for us to even touch because of the respect we have uh, appreciation for for the culture and it basically sake serving up to that point was pretty much within that realm almost a hundred percent there was very few well, there was nothing nothing else out there and there was no larger sized glasses everything I mean you had glasses but they were very small they were looking basically little ochocos uh, made out of glass for the summertime uh, but that was it uh, or even small glasses hmm. and um, this is when when we were approached by uh, Fukumitsuya which is a uh, you know in Kanazawa uh, one of the uh, major producers there, and they they uh, started to uh, they basically pushed us to to begin the search for the Daiginjuga. So it took three four years to 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 develop back and forth, and uh, it was then in '99 that we we launched the uh, the Daiginjuga glass, and it was quite a quite a revolution at the time because uh, not so much that but it's pretty much average looking wine glass, you know, if you think about it. But in Japan, it was quite a revolution because it was from a smaller choco to five times its size. 
mm. as a recommended vessel for sake. And this was quite a revolution at the time. Mm. Mm. And the, the the Junmai glass, I think, was eight years in production. The Junmai glass was, uh, we, we started in 2010 uh, and had to stop after two years. We, we actually stopped the search for the Junmai glass uh, because there was no consensus. Actually, it was Philip Harper. I remember who who told me once, you know, this, the, the Jumais you're using are not Jumai. So I was like, what? Um, and um, we had lots of different sakes around it. They were all recommended by different brewers. So at the time, the industry was not really quite sure which way to go. Should we go veer towards uh, the, the Daiginjo-like Jumai or should we go into really rich, umami-rich, uh, more, more marked flavor uh, type Jumais. And uh, Philip Harper was always very much on the on the extreme. And he basically said, well, these are not these middle middle of the road Jumais are not really representative for the category. So we put this back to the to the producers and uh, and uh, this they were not quite sure. So there was no as there was no consensus and the half of the group wanted to have once one way and the other group said one way. Uh, so we stopped. Because once we if we don't have a clear flavor profile of the category, there's no way we can make a glass for it. I think that's an important point for anyone that's a little bit skeptical about the glass is that I'm kind of impressed at the amount of integrity behind the way uh, you know this, the glass was developed is that some people might look at it and think, well, what does Riel know about making sake glasses? And even though the company made the sake glass and offered various designs, at no point were you... Uh, the person pushing for what should be done. It was completely decided by people in the industry and, and brewers themselves, wasn't it? So Yes. I mean, we're yeah. just the facilitator of the process. We have the tools. Mm. We are a tool maker. So, but the professionals, uh, we it is the the, the brewers or the the, uh, the brewers is what, what they have to tell us what is the message of their beverage and what of that particular category. And if, if they're not clear and if there's no consensus on, on what they aim for, uh, it's very difficult for us to 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 make a tool specifically tailored for a certain for certain uh, flavor profile. Can I ask as well, for, like for you personally, because I actually have a little bit in common with you in that uh, I worked for Baccarat in the two thousands um, for a couple of years, and up until that point, um, after I was not really drinking. I mean, I was drinking sake, but I was not interested in sake. I was working with Baccarat glass and everything was about whiskey and cocktails and wine glasses. Um, I was working the the Baccarat bar um, in, in Umeda in Osaka. And uh, it was interesting, like for me, having worked in, in the wine and uh, the beverage industry, but not really focusing at all on sake. Sake was just completely, for me, was something on the side. It, it, it existed in Japan where I was living, but it was not something that I was looking into or studying about. So for you, before this... Uh, you know, before it came to you, the, the idea of creating a, you know, I mean, the Daiginjo glass was first. So up until that point when you were in Japan and, and uh, selling glasses and, and promoting glassware, how much of a role was sake playing in your life? Um, to be honest, up to the Jumai glass, not much. Uh, the At the time for Daiginjo, you know, I really like to drink Daiginjo. You know, it's very similar to when it's very aromatic. It's very easy. It's a very easy drink. Uh, it's very approachable, and of course, when you when you when you got it offered, but when you have a choice, 
between wines and other beverages and sake, it's often uh, I always keep kept kept back veering back towards towards wine, and it was only in the in the in the two thousands like uh, two thousand ten two thousand twelve that I really got hooked on on sake and through Jumai. So actually, Jumai was the catalyst for me to to my, my big epiphanies that I had with sake was was actually almost 20 years after I came to Japan. Imagine that. It's, uh, it's, it's quite incredible uh, because I always looked at it as a beverage of what it does for the, for the, for the food, what it does on its own, uh, the, the balance of it. And the, the, can you, does, it, does it invite you for another sip? You know, does it, how, the longevity of it throughout a meal? And uh, so sake was always very hard to beat wine in my case. I mean, I was also surrounded by a lot of wines uh, and and had the opportunity to drink a lot of wine. So for sake to be the my preferred choice is is quite was quite something. And uh, today I I really now with food food culture changing, uh, global food culture changing, uh, you know, umami laden ingredients being a lot more uh, prominent in in international food. In, of course, in Japan they were always there, but also internationally, food become food styles becoming lighter. I find myself more than, more than not choosing a, 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 a sake as a pairing with a certain dish than not. And we have done some quite some some exploration into that area. I, I went also once to to uh, to Taiwan with a good friend Michael O to do a, a face off with wine against sake. So we tasted like I don't know. 60 different dishes with six different restaurants from street food to Michelin food. And we paired uh, the best of the wines that we could get in that market, chosen by one of the sommeliers who participated and uh, some sakes that Michael's uh, selected. And uh, the results were astounding because Mm -hmm. the Jumai Daginjo was winning 60% of the time. Jumai was, I think, uh, 13%. And and wine only won thirteen percent for Taiwanese food, which is very light and sort of sweet, and 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 it was astounding what, what kind of uh, results that we got. So w- once I got in into the food pairing side of things, this is when really sake shines for me. Hmm. Well, it is it is the most food friendly uh, beverage. I think <laughs> I think a lot of people agree with me. It doesn't it doesn't. Um doesn't take much convincing in this household anyway. Um, Maki, did you have a, you had a question that you wanted to ask? Yes. So I usually live in Tokyo in a smaller apartment and I love the Jumai glass. I I have a couple in my house and uh, it's one of the go-to glasses that I have. And whenever I have, whenever I tell myself that I have one glass tonight, that's the one that I fill up (laughs) Not more, more than more than the two finger drink. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. But that's one for me. But now that I know how to drink it, um, I will be uh, more um, cautious about it. But my question is that um, Tokyo apartments usually are small, and I would love to have a set of the Jumai glasses, but I don't think that's practical. And I was wondering, from the way you explained it. It, it, there is a science to it and I you know I'm, I'm a very simpleton when it comes to tasting so I was wondering if you could miniaturize it for people to be enjoying it at home 
that makes a difference in the, the taste profile? That is a very interesting question because uh, my answer is, in case you are able to miniaturize yourself, we can't miniaturize, miniaturize <laughs> the glass. Well, Maki and I are pretty small. <laughs> okay. So I actually just brought, I, I, th I thought this sort of question might come. So I actually, I actually have here, uh, you can see them uh, on the screen. I have a miniature version of this uh, Juma glass in front of me. Can you see? Yeah. It's about a third the size, right? So you're talking about this, right, Maki? Yes. This kind of size. Yes. Now, the problem is that yes, your absolutely. is getting smaller. And this, the Juma glass is basically, it, is, it fits your anatomy in order to create the desired result. Uh, to 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 harmonize the the the, the flavors and to 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 have the, the 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 to maximize the characteristics and 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 to really get the maximum out of it, it is really that size that completely relaxes your facial muscles when you drink from it. Uh, the liquid stops at this at this corner at this edge at this diamond shape. And flows very very slowly into your mouth. It almost glides into your mouth. It it does not go to the tip of the tongue. It stays it stays in, and you are in full. It's a very very smooth delivery, and this is this kind of delivery, unfortunately, can only get from this physical shape because your physical your physiology is as it is, and the shape of your mouth, the the, the size of your mouth is not so different from 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 everyone else from any other adult so if i take this like small little glass i have to tighten my facial muscles i have to pucker my face and it will go to a place that you may not uh, want it in order to 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 create this harmony and this is unfortunately what happens with a lot of the smaller vessels so unfortunately not what we could do and we actually tried this is to to cut off the stem so originally, because the Daiginjo glass also is available as a stemless glass, yeah. and uh, in this way it maybe looks a little more, little bit more uh, Japan friendly or or friendlier to the uh, the Japanese traditional table setting. So originally we we wanted to actually have the the Juma glass also stemless because we thought it's quite neat, you know, have two stemless glasses. We could make a nice little set, you know, it very, would be very nice, but. Uh, it was actually George Riedel who 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 said no because um, uh, he saw these kind of you know if you imagine this would be a, a Jumba glass the shape would be perfect a big shape would be perfect delivery perfect aromas uh, but it's not possible for a, for a lady to comfortably hold it in one hand uh, and so it 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 he basically said this design language will not work this is not ergonomically uh, sound it is too big to hold you you would have to hold it with two hands you cannot comfortably hold with one hand so the glass must have a stem and uh, this is the main reason why the stem is there uh, another re reason that we found out later was that because it elevates the uh, the drinking experience to the level of wine on any table around the world, you know, this can stand up to wine next to wine glasses, and it's 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 not a problem. I know, Maki, that doesn't help you. I know <laughs> that doesn't help you, uh, but it helps a lot of uh, non-Japanese outside of Japan to enjoy sake because they can easily integrate this glass into their lifestyle. They can have this on the table together with white wine, together with red wine next to it, and it doesn't shrink 
down. It doesn't it doesn't mismatch because sometimes when you I find it always very difficult to to mix beautiful earthenware or, or ceramics or you know Japanese uh, yakimono, uh, the one that Robert Rielen was talking about. These pieces of of art and craft. Uh, to to be to 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 shrink to size next to a big wine glass on the table in a Western home or with a Western meal, this is really. Uh, I, I always remember when 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 George Riedel came to Kyoto and he found this beautiful earthenware on, in a shop, and he said, "I want to buy this. I want to take it." And then at the end, he said, ah, "Such a shame. I, I'm not going to take it with me home." And I asked him why? Why not? I don't know how to use it. I don't know how to integrate it into my lifestyle. I don't know how to serve it. I wouldn't know how to use it with my friends. I don't want to, you know, misuse that cultural artifact in the wrong way. So the decision was not to do it. But for people that that uh, uh, enjoy sake in a non-traditional way, in a more Epicurean way, to maximize the the enjoyment of the sake, it 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 is it is a quite an easy tool to use. No, that's. I think that's important, though. It's like because you know there are, you know, and I know you're very aware that there is, you know, detractors or criticism of the of the Jumai glass. But I think it's important to remember it's not for, it's not for everyone, and it's not for everywhere. I mean, I when I see this Jumai glass around town here in in Osaka, it's usually in dedicated sake bars uh, where you're sitting at a counter and you're drinking. You know, you've got your own little space in front of you. It is. You know, and this is not a criticism; it's just a, a fact. It's not a, a practical glass for if you're in an izakaya where you're sharing, you're sitting at a table with five or six people, and you're reaching across each other to pass plates and reach for food. That's when a glass that's sticking up, you know, a good twenty centimeters up in above the table is going to get knocked over. So it's, I don't think it's a, it's not criticizing it to say it's not practical for that kind of situation. But if you're sitting in a, in a Western style restaurant where you you've got your own space it's you know it's a perfect class it's it's but yeah it's it's not for it's not i don't i mean you know i'm not going to speak for you here but i don't think it's it's designed for like this is, this, this is the be the be all and end all of my glasses you'll never need another glass again kind usually, of thing usually i would say that it it has an easier life uh within wine glasses wherever wine right. glasses are served wherever wine glasses are stored wherever there's space for wine glasses wherever there's dedicated place for wine glasses that's that's a much easier home than than uh, the the more Japanese size dimensions. Uh, if it's the table or if it's cupboards, we have we have some sushi. Uh, we have the same with wine glasses in sushi bars that serve wine. You know, they had to change all their cabinets because because the the uh, existing wine glasses wouldn't fit, and also a jumai glass wouldn't fit. That so really has has a has a certain application, and it, it certainly doesn't go everywhere. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So, so with with the Daiginjo glass, I know um, I remember you saying that I think you started with a hundred shapes, a hundred shape designs. Yeah. What about the Junmai glass? Was it a similar process, or the Daiginjo glass was starting with a hundred, then to a sixty, then to thirty, then to twelve, then to twenty-four, twelve, and six. Hmm. That was for the for the Daiginjo glass over over uh, many many workshops over two years. The Junmai glass. Um, we had 172 people, brewers, 95% brewers, 5% you know experts, tasters, and uh, 42 different workshops in mm-hmm. Japan with mm-hmm. over 120 different jumais, 
you know, from all over the seven regions of Japan. Uh, we started only with 30 because we already had uh, a quite a direction from the Daiginjo glass development. We kind of knew where to start from. Mm. Then And then we, it was a lot easier. However, it was a lot more difficult because we had to create new prototypes. A lot more prototypes were created for the Jumai glass than for the, for the Daiginjo glass because Daiginjo glass being aromatic, it had to be egg-shaped. Whereas with Fajuma, we had nowhere, we had no idea where to go. Mm. So this is where there are the, the Juma search was a lot more difficult. And uh, we had round shapes, we had, we had diamond shapes, we had different, different shapes with stem, without stem, all kinds of uh, glasses, some that looked like a Sakatsuki, like very really flat. And uh, in a way, the flow is not so different from the Sakatsuki, you know, the very, very flat one, the, the Juma glass flow. Um, because um, it is, it is, it is, uh, it's this gliding uh, sensation that that really, really helps helps the the the, the Jumai sake. So, so with the Daiginjo glass, obviously, you were talking about how you wanted to um, draw out the the aroma. Um, that was really the primary focus. What about with the Junmai? What was the initial um, primary focus? Or, or because because Jumai. If you pour a Jumai, a fairly marked Jumai, like it's a very, you know, with with some, you know, earthy tones or with some uh, oxidation or with some mushroom, you know, like funky mushroom kind of uh, uh, character. If you put that into an egg-shaped glass, you, 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 people will yeah. pull back. <laughs> people will say, no, 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 this is, this is off. I don't like it. I don't enjoy this because... It it is it's a marker for off flavors, you know, all the earthiness and and and, and mushroomy fungal fungal character is is it could be off. So uh, most of the glasses that in any way concentrated aromas were eliminated right away, uh, because you wanted to open up the glass. You have a, a much more uh, elegant uh, uh, aroma picture coming forward from the glass. Uh, uh, and this only an open glass, a wide open glass can do. So if you if you have again a very small miniature glass, you can you will concentrate it again, and uh, it's this wide open shape that really achieves this 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 aroma picture. So it still offers you the more positive aromas, the more the more like the 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 what we call you know the dairy, the honey, the 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 the, the rice aromas, the kind of roast roastiness. I'm not saying positive or negative, but more pleasant, more mm. approachable aromas, approachable. and mm. rather than the woody mushroom, uh, earthy, earthy uh, uh, smells. Yeah, uh, and they, the, so the earthy smells and the, the negative, not not negative, but earthy woody smells would be de-emphasized, and the 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 other elements would be emphasized in that glass uh, when you when you smell from it. In the development of of the Jumai glass. It's curious because, I mean, a Daiginjo is, you know, 99% of the time people drink it chilled. So it was, it's kind of a, a simple, a no-brainer for coming up with a glass to, to think to serve it in a glass. Whereas Junmai is probably, you know, out of any style of sake, the one that's that's often that goes the whole gamut of chilled room temperature and warm. And I guess in a glass, obviously it can do the chilled and the room temperature, but in a glass you cannot do the warm. So... How much of that discussion uh, took place of you know of even like you know why are we why are we creating a glass for a 
maybe you know 50 percent or less i don't know there's no figure on it of where people drink this style of sake warmed and in, we can't even use this glass was that much of an issue for us, or for us there was never a discussion up? really mm -hmm. uh, because we we warm sake is is just uh not our world sure which means uh that's that is the traditional realm uh, we have people that have tried to drink to to heat up hot sake in in the and they said they tell us that it's actually not bad it's quite good however we 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 we've never approached that anything above 20 degrees celsius yeah. so we we our domain all the tastings all the workshop was based on on that temperature range mm -hmm. the, the brewers never approached us and said you know we should investigate the, the hot category I think there was always a, a unspoken understanding that's not that's not really our area, and we also kind of thought that's not our area, mm -hmm. and uh, so I thought it's quite a nice way to separate the the cold from the hot, and and leave the hot to to tradition and culture and 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 all the wonderful uh, things that that Japanese Japanese tableware. Uh, has sure. I mean jun Junmai is such a broad category I suppose isn't it a, a broad category a broad style so right. it, yeah I mean there, there are a lot that lend themselves well to serving at different temperatures but it was interesting when you were saying before Wolfgang that um, you know Philip Harper was involved and he said oh the ones that you're trying they're not they're not typical Junmai or they're not real Junmai so so what what were then the 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 what were the I suppose flavor and aromatic profiles of the typical Junmais that you were you were I well, guess testing this glass with? Well, one of one of the Junmais that 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 I'm going to use I think next week is 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 his his Junmai the the Tamagama Tamagawa uh, uh, spontaneous uh, fermentation. Uh, that's I think one I'm going to use today. I'm I'm using uh, Kikuhime. Uh, I'm, I'm, that we use downstairs in the shop for the Jumai glass tasting. I often use Tengumai. Mm -hmm. Very, very marked, very distinct, very, very strong. If you don't, if you're new to sake, maybe not something you want like to 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 drink as your first introduction <laughs> to sake, uh, because to just to uh, they they require quite some some. Uh, uh, Developed taste. Let's put it this way: you you have to develop the taste, just like a, a child grows up with different tastes and starts with, with uh, with with sweet and fat and protein, you know, and, and bitter bitter elements and acidity is at the end. Uh, you know, you only like starting uh, bitter foods when you get older. You know, Bordeaux wine is is the last wine people usually start liking. They like starting with some starting off with something fruity. So it's just the same way. It's a progression of of our own. Uh, uh, taste taste exploration. So Jumai, uh, of course, is a lot easier to approach with food. But if it, if you drink it on its own, uh, it's 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 maybe not the first sake that you you start with, but yeah. it's maybe the the one you end up with. So so still the sake that you're um, using for the workshops when you talk about this glass when you have this glass in a workshop that it's it's still quite broad, I suppose. Very broad. Um, yeah, I do remember tasting Tengamai at the Melbourne workshop, and it was it was incredible the difference between just drinking it out of a uh, a normal wine glass and the Junmai glass. And one thing that I've noticed 
I'm drinking tonight, I'm actually drinking the Taihezan Kimoto Junmai, um, which has some of those, you know, mushroomy notes, those earthy notes. But I do notice with this glass that it, the first thing that I noticed was that it softens that bitterness and actually brings out a lot more sweetness in the sake. Yes. And it's doing that very much so tonight. <laughs> yes, that's 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 the job it's been designed for. That's mm. its own job. I mean, I mean, we are we are we are only looking at it's all about the sake itself. It's really not about the glass. It's the glass is just tailored to your anatomy, and to deliver it in 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 the in the most uh, pleasurable way to your senses. That's really what. That's really all 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 it is. That's oh. really all we do. So, um, yeah. Julian, what are you drinking out of your uh, Riedel Junmai glass tonight? I'm actually drinking a two-year-aged Junmai from uh, it's it's called Topu Suirai, Suirai, which is torpedo, top torpedo, um, from Totori. So it's I I I'm not even sure where I picked this up from now. Um, I I'm almost finished it, but I've been having this mostly warmed, so it's interesting to try it um, in the glass, and it's. It's, I mean, yeah, this is not a criticism of the glass. It's more a reflection of the sake. But, I mean, it worked better warmed. It's not. It's probably not the kind of sake for this um, glass. But, yeah, it's still very interesting because it totally, it's totally different from, from how it comes out warmed. And what about, what just just going back to our last episode, what about, I, I know you talked a little bit about um, uh, yakimono before, but it wasn't your personal experience. I'm wondering, do you have any pottery vessels at, at, at home that you enjoy sake out of, or are you um are you a loyal glass man? <laughs> oh no, I do I do I do try them every time I go out. Yeah. I go to some of some isakayas. I one one isakaya like Sasakin, I don't know if you know, it's right right around my corner where I live. It's it's a it's a, a isakaya, very nice isakaya with with uh, with with sake. Uh, I, I don't think he knows I work for Riedel. Yeah. Uh, because I'm I'm just there as a customer and and I enjoy I, I explore their service and I appreciate their service and I would even, never even talk about the glass because because I know it would not be the environment I yeah. would feel like a cultural intruder yeah. in that place uh, if I would take my glass with me uh, into that uh, however if if it were a a Japanese restaurant if it's kaiseki or or, or any style that has wines and that that looks at the food experience also in a more epicurean way then i i very likely would 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 identify myself and even talk about the glass or bring the glass mm -hmm. uh, so it's really i would say the traditional cultural realm i mean originally uh, sake was was a communication tool it was not really it was a social lubricant it was not uh, really a culinary vessel that you 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 pair your food with uh you, you know it's it's uh wine that's where wine comes wine you know the greeks were already having wine for breakfast the 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 the, the, the french were digestiving 300 years ago uh, and the romans had wine uh, all day long uh with the food so it was always a food companion white reds and, and the whole food pairing thing always had a more uh, prominent uh, position in in people's culinary lives whereas sake from mike's from from what i've been studying on uh it uh, japanese food never really needed an alcoholic be alcoholic beverage to to taste good because it was all the chef that that provided all the ingredients uh for everything to be balanced it is only the the heavier foods from the west that without some alcohol you couldn't cut the fat down 
you know, <laughs> it was too opulent, too rich. So you the the alcohol also had the 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 benefit to 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 to, to aid your digestion or stimulate your appetite. But sake in in a traditional Japanese banquet, uh, there was a little bit of sake in a sakatsuki as a greeting to the to the to the gods in the beginning. Then until the rice throughout the whole course, there was not really much sake drunk. Maybe later on in the Edo period there was, but originally not because. Because the the food culture comes from 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 the tea tea ceremony originally the kyoriori the the the, the Kyoto style of of banquet, and then the drinking started after the meal. That's when the drinking party started, and it that's when the, it was a social occasion. It was basically to to drink up and to to get merry and to socialize and to communicate. Uh, so it, it, I'm not saying it was it was completely separate, but but it was a lot more separate. Uh, than than the normal course meal of a of a of a normal Western Western course meal that starts yeah. with an aperitif already. So okay. you you spent some time in Australia as well. So having you know and and another country as well. But like, how does Japan's approach to glassware in general, not just the the these sake glasses, but overall, how's the the, the Japanese market compared to some of the Western countries? Like, is there any what what differences, if any, are there? Uh, the biggest market for us is Japan for those for both glasses is Japan, mm-hmm. uh, mostly for private home use, and also restaurants. Most restaurants that have a wine list, so so hotels, restaurants who have the space. Uh, it's a question of of space as well and service style. So I'm I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a stockholder in in uh, Riedel, so you, I don't need numbers or anything. But I'm curious, like how how much of a success have have the sake glasses been like in terms of the whole. Uh, the whole uh, portfolio of, of glasses you have has is it a success? Is it much? You know, there's the the market is narrow, so it doesn't sell as much as the, as wine glasses. But you know, but as a in in perspective of, of its context in context, has it been a have the glasses been successful? Uh, in the sense that that people are highly curious, want to taste the difference, want to learn about it, uh, about sake through the glass, because it's actually a lot it's a lot easier to. To approach sake first from a from a gustatory from your senses, uh, it's a lot easier than to come in from the cultural traditional because you, it's it's a lot more complicated. Uh, so we have it in in very in high end. Let's put it that way. The volume is not that high, but the quality is very high. So we we have I would say we have at least 15, 20 uh, restaurants in Shanghai that would have the glasses. Uh, it's not a hundred restaurants, but it's it's fifteen top restaurants, mm-hmm. and, and I think that would go. Uh, for for Paris, just as much as in New York, wherever the wherever it suits the the restaurateur to use it as a tool to present the sake in a in a culinary way, it is used a lot more than in a in a in a traditional uh, environment. Mm. From from our perspective, it's it's a very important glass. For example, we have our Asian ambassador, Riedel ambassadors coming. Uh, in two weeks' time for for trainings, actually George Riedel is coming to Japan to do the training for for all of them, and we will have a sake tasting segment. So it's part of the the program uh, because it's a drink category that that is really important. So we have wines uh, from different glasses, we have spirits, and we have sake. Uh, also because of course it's held in Japan, but it it shows that it's become a a, a cornerstone of of our responsibility to cover the world of beverages with the appropriate glasses. I, I have a very similar question uh, to what Jillian was asking. Um, this is 
a more banal or possibly distasteful <laughs> question, but um, you've spent eight years, 42 workshops to develop this class. And I, I would assume that you had some sort of plan to recoup, re recover that investment. But how long are you looking at in order to sort of make a profit on that investment? Um, it's difficult in the glass business to to quantify that because because any glass that we of course we had to make the minimum production runs that that would, would be the easiest answer so so George Riedel mm -hmm. basically came and said well can you can you do the production run of 40,000 50,000 pieces can you do that I see so we had to commit uh, and we had to find the, the market for for that volume and uh, every mm -hmm. time we we produce we reproduce it, uh, we have to make the minimum production runs, so so uh, they the factory will produce it, and we can sell right. it. The glass making is a curious uh, business. Uh, it's been around for a few thousand years already, uh, and when we all we have a saying when the the glass maker at the at the furnace, the handmade glass maker, uh, it gets always really hot, um, uh, and next to the oven. Whereas uh, in in the machine glass production, it's the salespeople that get really hot because the, the, <laughs> the factory just keeps churning out until it stops. A machine factory likes nothing more than uh, than keep running the same shape for days. So it's all about minimum production runs in our case. So it sounds like you don't have a very strict sort of investment profit making plan. Um, no. They are, that's that's the easy answer. We we do not have a business plan. We we still we never had one, and we never will have a business plan for the for the Jumba glass. Uh, that's because, amazing. Because I don't think we have those kind of business plans for any of our glasses. We know we know that we first of all we don't set out to make a glass. It is the industry mm -hmm. that that has to we we work on request. Mm -hmm. So unless we have a request, we don't make anything. So it was just a request from the Japanese market that just kept going and going uh, asking us to make a glass because they wanted to know what is the glass that is great for sake mm. and it's only then that we started the search and it was I would it would say it starts off more like a responsibility to 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 the market and to the to the local to the local beverage out of respect to to investigate at the very least sometimes we we find a shape that goes with something and we don't have to make a new glass that happens. Like the Daginjo glass was a lot easier to make, for example, because we had the molds already. Mm. Uh, it was just a different different height. Like mm. the Riesling glass and the and 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 the Chardonnay glass uh, are the same shape, made from a different mold, just cut on a different height uh, than mm. the Daginjo glass. Whereas the Jumai glass is a completely new shape. Mm. It's not a wine glass. Right. It's not a cocktail glass. So it's been what five years since the release of the Jumai glass. Yep. And over twenty for. The Daiginjo? Uh, 25 now, yes. What's, I would say 25. What's, what's next in the sake realm of uh, Riedel glasses? Well, we've just come out of uh, this uh, this funny period that we had. So 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 we had to take a breath, I think, uh, and, and regroup. Uh, we are now really re-entering uh, all areas of, of our of our uh, business and our, 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 our future endeavors. That includes also sake. Uh, we 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 know that there is a lot of shapes in between in our collection that go really well with certain sakes. For example, we know that that our Monrache Chardonnay Oak Chardonnay glass goes really well with some Jumais as well. 
Uh, we know that some of our old world Shiraz glasses go extremely well with Daginjo. So you find a lot of, we have a lot of tools uh, between those two anchor shapes. That's why we went extreme. We went extreme polished and we, we went Jumai uh, on those two extremes because we, we, we knew we need to have those anchors. We, need to, we, can't, we don't want to go any further extreme. Uh, we need to cover those and then we can explore whatever is in the middle. And we have a lot of shapes that we can recommend. Have you, uh, without naming naming names or, or naming uh, grades or styles of, of sake, ha- have you had some requests? Have yes. have you had have you had talks with with anyone in the industry that's perhaps a little curious about? Yes, we do. We do have uh, the talks regularly. Mm. Uh, uh, during COVID, probably not, but 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 uh, afterwards, before that, and afterwards. And we would always start with 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 a workshop, internal workshop with them. Uh, so we'll take the, the beverage that they the they they are looking for or they're looking at, and we'll we'll line up a lot of glasses and we'll we'll taste and smell and we we see which direction uh, goes really well with that style. And usually we find a glass in our collection. So in terms so- of in in terms of sparkling sake, I know we tasted a sparkling sake in the workshop and we used. Um, your sparkling um, wine glass. Yeah. So, would you say that 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 does the job, or uh, does sparkling sake possess something um, different enough to sparkling wine and champagne that it would warrant having a specific glass? Should the production of sparkling sake continue to increase? That could be uh, in the future, because mm-hmm. uh, but then we would have to really uh, put all the whole array of uh, sparkling sakes in a lineup. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and do a workshop. We did some initial. Uh, we did, uh, you know, dabble in it a bit with certain makers, but the styles were very different. Yeah. Uh, so this is where where um, it's quite di- diverse in terms of style. So so we can't really see yet one kind of target that we would uh, need for for the aroma element of it. But for the delivery on the on the on the in the mouth in the flow. We know what works and what doesn't work, and it is all the. It, it's very close to champagne in that sense. Mm. So it is the the how it how it treats the effervescence and how it treats the uh, the CO two, uh, and that is quite definite. That that is the same, very similar from if it's Coca Cola or if it is a champagne or if it's a sparkling sake. It's very very similar. Mm. The the mechanics for the drinking mechanism would be very similar, and uh, your preferred flow. Uh, would also be very similar. So at the moment, we are recommending all our champagne uh, wine glasses for for sparkling sake for both flow and aroma. Uh, but that could be something out there. Absolutely, that is this maybe an interesting category we should look in. So thank but you. Considering how the Daiginjo glass and the Jumai glass both came from the industry asking for it, is it fair to say that anything that comes next is not going to be from you, but going to, you're waiting on the industry to ask for it? Correct. Correct. Okay. Your your comments now are registered. That is, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a register. We register it, and if 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 we hear it like every every other week, <clears throat> we hear the same words. Uh, we start we start listening. We start acting on it, possibly, and we maybe then reach out to some of them and say, well, okay, we've 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 had too many inquiries now. Uh, let's investigate. Let's let's look for it. I'm very curious about this process of developing a class, and it sounds very democratic, yes. but I'm wondering 
in your experience of running the workshop, do you find, I, I'm assuming these uh, brewers are voluntary uh, participants. Yes. And uh, do you find them very opinionated? And if so, how do you sort of manage that sort of multitude of opinions? Um, the great thing about it is that we don't have to ask them their opinion at all. Because all the tastings, the workshops, they are they're arriving and all we tell them is uh, that it's a sensory workshop and we will ask them to eliminate glasses and to raise their hand. We ask them not to speak. We ask them to maybe disregard their aesthetic preferences, uh, visual preferences or operational preferences. Like I say, like a sake says, baker says, oh, I don't want to have this big glass in my brewery. You know, forget about it. Just purely focus. Please lend us your palate, your senses. Please lend us your senses in order to, to fine tune what is the right, what is the best shape, the ideal shape for a certain category. And uh, then it just the tasting starts and nobody's allowed to speak. They're not allowed to speak next to next to each other. They're not allowed to, to, to voice any opinion during the tasting because, of course, that could influence everybody else. And so we only ask them for raising their hand. And let's say we have 12 glasses in the workshop. And we'll, we'll ask the first round is like, please who, uh, eliminate four glasses. Please identify four glasses on your table mat that you would like to eliminate, that you find is not suitable for what you had in your in your glass. And uh, then the the raising of the hand is simultaneous. And uh, and then we count. It's all open. And then we put it on a board. And then we go to the next round. Please eliminate. Go for the next round. Please eliminate three glasses or four glasses, depending on 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 what what shapes were eliminated. Sometimes we leave a glass back in because we know there might be it might be coming back. Uh, but that's about the extent to how we we uh, guide the, the the workshop, because of our experience, we 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 sometimes take the liberty to keep a glass in that we believe has maybe not performed well and it's just been flown. We know it's flown out by by accident because it's done a lot really well in other tastings, uh, as as we get the data of all the tastings. Uh, but um, and then the talking starts, and then. It is very emotional because people people will lose their best friends on the table. They it's very emotional because uh, sometimes people put their hands on their head and they get really really emotional because their favorite glass was eliminated. And but it is the many palettes that 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 go through that and that kind of flattens. The, the individual preferences that some people may have. And, and usually those preferences are not based on the taste and aroma. Mostly those preferences are based on aesthetics or operational preferences. When you do that process, do you have a that's the sake that they're tasting in a, in like an ochoco or like in a, 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 a standard tasting glass as like a calibrator? At that no? point, no, we no longer do that. They can, we can always, anybody can bring their favorite vessel with them. That's what okay. we usually them too so please bring your choco please bring your kiki socket uh you know please one of those with you the one that you you actually usually taste your sake that that is your reference point right uh, we do ask people to bring their own reference point we can't provide it for them because we don't know what they use and uh, they're very free to to you bring along whatever they want then what really happens when the brewers also they also bring their own sake so so they exchange the sake with each other and try this from this and try this. From that. It's always a big, 
after the workshop, once the data is finished, once the results are out, it's 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 sort of veering off into a into a into a sake party. I wish there is a documentary film on that on that process of we have. Oh you have. Yes, we have. Oh. I can send it to you. Uh, it should the video link should be on by the top of my Instagram. Oh, that's cool. Thank yeah. you. So that is the video of the sake, the Juma glass development, the final workshop, not the preliminary tastings. We have photos and, and smaller videos for that, but but we have made a small video that shows the process and who was involved, all the names who was involved, who was there. And uh, and the final workshops in Tokyo and, and Nagoya, where both groups were independently tasting and they came to the same result. Glass number five was chosen by both groups independently. What a fascinating process uh, it must be to be involved in. I'm just I'm curious as well, like completely like regard, you know, putting aside the glasses and and work and everything. So living in Japan as the you know the the guy who's all about the glasses. What's what's your your day to day like? Uh, in in like I'm not talking about like necessarily about work, but I mean, what are some of the other things in Japan that you like to do when you're not doing workshops and things like that? What 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 do you like about you've been here a long time? Yes, well, I have started. I I have to say that I was working a lot, and I'm I'm, I'm you know I'm still sitting in the office at nine o'clock at night. <laughs> so, so I do work a lot. I do also work a little bit on weekends. I do work uh, after I have dinner, and I don't and I don't have an engagement outside. I, I do go home and uh, and wrap up a bit on my laptop on the deck, you know, just to to chill down with a with a glass and a, and. A, and and uh, to relax, but uh, but I, recently I've started to collect netsuke, uh, you know netsuke, the the small miniature uh, figurines that uh, you used to put in the Edo period. You used to put on your sash on your belt. So I've become a collector of, of netsuke, which is which is uh, you know you know Robert Yellen is is collecting uh, 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 yakimono. I'm collecting netsuke. It's 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 also uh, mainly from the Edo period. It's 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 really arts and crafts. It's uh, I've just recently looked at katanas at at, at souls. So so in terms of my cultural interest, I have to have still so much uh, I can I need to make the time for. So so I really uh, I'm, but I've started. I've started to take a little bit more time for those things and. I will I will go to Kyoto and I will go to Robert Yellen because I want to learn about uh, I want to exchange some notes on of vessel history. Yeah, because culture Japanese culture is so deep and it's 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 endless. Yeah, it, there is there you don't have uh, you need a f several lifetimes to 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 go through it all and to explore it all and and you 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 th you thought you've reached the bottom and you never have and yeah. you never will. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, Wolfgang, it's always such a, a joy to listen to you speak. You are just so passionate about what you do and so knowledgeable, and it's been an honour to have you with us this evening. So thank you so much for joining us. Maki, Julian, as always, it's been a, a pleasure. But, yes, Wolfgang, thank you so much. Thank you, for, thank uh, you uh, Simone. Thank you so much. It was really, really great talking. And, and, and when you come to Tokyo, please, please visit us. And and uh, Julian, if I'm in Osaka, uh, let me know. We have a new shop there, so let's do a tasting there. Where where, where is the new shop? The new shop is in uh, Harvest End in Umeda. Oh, okay. Uh, just between the Hilton and the Ritz Carlton. Yep. So, yep. So so on the fourth floor. So so I'll go and check it out. Easy to find. So let's 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 uh, catch up on that meeting we never got to do when like five years ago. That sounds great. <laughs> yes. 
And and anyone listening, if you do ever have the chance to do a Riedel glass workshop, whether it be for sake or wine, I can't recommend it enough. It's an amazing experience and it'll really change the way you think about drinking wine or sake out of uh, specific glasses. So um, hopefully hopefully you uh, get to experience that at some point. Uh, Again, Wolfgang, thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot. And of course, a big thank you to everybody who listened to this episode of TWTT, the podcast. A big shout out to our subscribers over at Patreon as well. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your continued support. So until next time, stay safe, be kind, and keep enjoying sake. Sonny.